Hey everyone, and welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Arbilla, the lead mentor at the Knowledge Exchange, where we specialize in helping clinicians apply a BPS approach to their practice. We are offering online and in-person courses this year, 2023, to support clinicians with the skills to handle and manage the uncertainty of clinical practice. So if you are interested, reach out at tkex.org. So I've got a special episode today. We're expanding on the misinformation series that we've had some really great discussions on last year. And I've got a couple of guests today, special guests, Keenan Hollingsworth and Matthew Danziger. So first of all, thank you both for joining us today. And I'd love to hear in your own words, a bit of an introduction. So um, there's a shout out, Matt, maybe we'll start with you. Um, we've had a, it's been a while between drinks. 2020, I believe was our last podcast, but for the listeners who aren't aware, what's, what's your story? Well, I'll give you the uh, quicker version because I guess you can go to the references on this one. Uh, professionally, I operate principally uh, as a massage therapist in a setting where we're primarily doing pain management, some degree of sports from that time when we spoke last. I've also been um, teaching as an adjunct professor at a massage and uh, acupuncture and some degree nursing school uh, here in, uh, I'm in New York City. I live in Queens. I teach in Manhattan, operate in Manhattan. Um, so I've sort of uh, picked up a second hat since the last time uh, started out doing personal training. I really only have one client who I stick with now. Um, and that's, uh, again, by way of changes in the world. Now, uh, distance coaching is a totally acceptable thing. And uh, it was somebody who I worked with a number of years ago, she was never really happy finding somebody else and I had thought I retired and she said hey can we do this and I said yeah let's go for it awesome man it's nice to hear that you've entered the the world of teaching much needed it's funny normally I get a, a video so for the context of the listeners we've got um, right <laughs> some internet connection and yes. I, I, I'll blame you can blame my entire continent for this one because like we're so far away so it's, it's all Australia's fault if there are any internet connection errors but um Keenan I'm interested in hearing some of your story so we've we've had some chats on online and I'm still trying to be as strong as you one day but for the listeners well, what's your story uh, Matt pretty much covered my story. Um, it sounds very, very similar. So um, I've been a personal trainer for quite a while um, and a massage therapist um, in Alberta, Canada currently. Um, right now, I just went back to school and I'm working on my master's in physiotherapy at the University of Alberta. And I'm teaching massage therapy um, and doing some curriculum development for one of the uh, massage therapy schools up here. And I have two clients currently, not to one up Matt or anything. Uh, but I've kept two of my, my online folks. That's awesome. So That's a, we have essentially the same yeah, story. Yeah. It looked like you were, so Matt, just for the purpose of maybe the conversation, whenever you are un, unmuted, I will mute as well. Just so I know if, yeah. if you wanted to, to speak up and, oh, and no, say no, how much, I, how much I, better you are, because even though you have one less client, you still have, we'll play the experience card. So that's how you run up back. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't quite think that's it, but all right, I'll take it. Cool. Yeah, but if you, if you wanted to, um, at any time, either you gents, if you want to um, interrupt the, and, and um, add in a comment, just unmute yourself so I can see. So as we, uh, as we dive into maybe the first question of outdated content, I, I tried to not say bullshit content, but swearing is also allowed. Um, so we see a lot of uh, content claims online that uh, perhaps isn't up to date. So how, as a broad question, I'll start with you, Keenan. how cl as clinicians can we respond and react and mindful of our audience, of the layperson? 
Yeah, so I should probably lead us off. I should add this in my introduction by saying we're going to be talking a little about misinformation here. Um, and this is an area that I don't have any specific expertise in. So ironically, while talking about misinformation, I'm just be wildly speculating myself. So take what I say here with a grain of salt. Um, so my view on this is I think there's room for a lot of different avenues here when we in encounter this kind of misinformation or I kind of like bullshit better. I'm glad we're allowed to swear on this show or I wouldn't last past the first question. Um, I, I think there's room for a lot of different ways to counter that. One of, in my experience, the more effective ways has been seeing people um, like Matt, like uh, Keith Cowell is a really good one, Rob Haddo, folks who find these posts online and really um, engage in like friendly um, conversation for the benefit of the, primarily the lurkers, I think, the people who are just reading these back and forths. I, I don't know how frequently we change the, the minds of the folks actually spreading the misinformation, but the individuals who are reading these back and forths, when they can see it coming from a um, respectful place, I think you can get to a lot of people that way. But I do also think there's some room for some of the more confrontational, brash, um, straight up in your face, like Adam Meekins, for example, style um, stuff. I think that resonates with some folks. And I think there's probably room for a little bit of both of those things here. Um, but I, in my experience, I think the sort of um, kind engagement is a really good way to help sway some folks who are maybe reading along and aren't sure of who to believe and when. Yep, that's the perhaps it's more of the the value in questioning is not to change the poster's mind necessarily, more so to encourage some curiosity from the onlookers who are looking at, at the post so they can at least have a, a wider perspective on the assumptions, the interpretations of the, the content. And and misinformation is in uh, false, inaccurate information. So maybe if we were to define the term in general. Yeah, just yeah exactly. I think something we've seen, especially over the last handful of years, has been regardless of how absurd maybe some content is, the more often it gets repeated from more sources tends to lend it credibility for some folks. If, if you see an idea coming from several different people, several different times through several different mediums, it sort of implies almost that there's something to this. Otherwise, why would so many folks be talking about it? I don't think leaving that as it is untouched, unchallenged is a good idea because if people only see, um, say in like the nutrition world, all they hear is carnivore back and forth constantly, it becomes really easy to think that that's a lot more of a accepted thing than it is. So having people actively either confront these posts directly or put out opposing content that folks can run into, um, I think is a really important, important thing. Yeah, looking at like the communities that we're a part of and uh, before the podcast hit record we talked about our own like we touched on our echo chambers and uh, our circles that we have and there can be lots of bias so if there's ways to um, offer countering perspectives using high quality information that can help us uh, bounce ideas off other trusted sources because otherwise we rely on specific trusted sources that may in, in, in themselves that, that there's bias, there's authority bias, there's there's making it about the person, not the claims. There's so many other fallacies that could be involved. So there is value in having different perspectives. Matt, I'm keen to hear your opinion on, on this one. Well, like Kenyon, I'm, uh, I also don't know what I'm talking about, but I've thought about it a lot. So I feel like I know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, there, I, I think I would break it down into a number of different things um, because I think that I'm with Keenan that there is definitely room for a lot of voices, but I feel like at different times I've been different people. So I have in the past been a bit more brash. Uh, I don't know that I've quite gone to like the Adam Meekins invoking comedy, which I do think can be useful, but I don't think I've ever been quite there, but I've, I've definitely changed over the years um, and softened my approach a lot. And, um, you know, I, I think speaking on something like a social media is also pretty similar in some ways to speaking to an actual person like face-to-face -face and can be very different in others the biggest 
difference of which, of course, is the, uh, the lack of tone, the lack of pacing, the lack of ability for reflection. So I think that uh, I sort of broke it down into a few steps, which is sort of knowing first who you're talking to. So are we looking to communicate to the general population or are we in a group that is of professionals, in which case um, I think mode of conversation changes and like obviously you don't want to weigh down the lay person or even educated lay person with jargon. Um, I think a big one for me is also uh, the idea that you demonstrate what the, uh, the idea is that's being talked about. Uh, you demonstrate your understanding of that idea. So if we're saying misinformation or bullshit, um, you know, I, I think that one of the reasons that there are certain things that I'm so confident in sort of debunking is because I spent so much time looking into it and even believing it. And if you can sort of walk somebody through your process of, okay, this is what I used to believe about posture, this, that, and the other. And here are some of the ideas that started to change my mind about it. And now this is how I've reached this new conclusion. To me, it's like uh, leaving a trail of breadcrumbs rather than saying, this is the new answer. And like, once I was like you, even still, I mean, I think it leaves room for change. But if you show somebody how you got there, I think it also shows uh, one by example that it's comfortable to change and that's something that somebody else can do. And two, it gives them sort of a framework for how they might be able to do that same thing themselves. I think it shows that humility as well that normalizes change when looking at content. If I, I can imagine and I can speak from personal experience of the sunk cost fallacy after taking uh, lots and lots of uh, mobility specific corrective exercise, we'll say modalities and courses. It took a while for me to, to change and to update my understandings. I think that, that allowing the, the methods of how you got to your current understanding out in the open, I think that's perhaps uh, more useful for people to see where you're coming from as opposed to just the surface level of right versus wrong, which can get into black or white thinking and take away from the nuances of the actual claims, ironically. Anything to add, gents? I'm mindful as well, um, Matt, if we, uh, whether right. you're on mute yeah. or unmute. <laughs> Cool. Uh, so on, on that note, if I, if I was to um, practice a bit of a questioning of my own um, biases in, in the responses, I, I think there's certain contexts where it's more helpful to respond and, and others where maybe um, the idea of engagement and um, controversial posts for the sake of controversy and um, I the the actual posts are intended to get a more of an emotional response so I'm, I'm wondering if there's types of content that you've come across where it might be helpful to not respond at all Keenan, matt yeah i definitely think so um no specific examples jump to the top of my head here but um like I sort of mentioned before, the more times an idea is sort of propagated, I think it, it lends it credibility almost. And I, I kind of wonder sometimes when we push back on these ideas and create more engagement in some of these posts, that sort of feeds it through the algorithm to make it now more seen by more people. And all of a sudden, maybe even though we are engaging in a way to refute the information, maybe we're actually helping that person get their in our opinion, incorrect message, um, more views. Matt, because um, I've been seeing you over the years commenting and um, creating that necessary curiosity. I'm curious with your experience from what you've seen, um, would there be times where you, you would alter your, your approach? I think that this is one that is gonna be, um, very contingent for me on 
if we're speaking for others out there, um, do you think that this person who is making these posts or engaging with these posts, do you think that they're engaging in a discussion of good faith? Because I do think that there are people who deliberately try to make sort of incendiary or, um, you know, or, or reactionary sorts of posts and may just want to string somebody along because they know that it gets attention. And I don't think that it's incumbent upon people as individuals, particularly, you know, I, I, everybody who's listening to this cares about their profession and their professional identity, probably considerably more than most people on average, um, their colleagues, but it's not incumbent upon you to take your own personal lifetime and, and stretch yourself too thin because you're not only not helping others all the time, you're not helping yourself. And I think that there are particularly people who are sort of, they know, or they think they know who they can bully that way. And I think that's uh, just for your own personal well-being. You have to identify, is this a discussion that I'm willing to engage within? And that's unfortunately something you sometimes have to learn the hard way. You know what? Scrap my last answer. I'm just going to sign off on that one instead. Um, it theoretically, whether it's always good to engage or not might be one thing, but practically speaking, I've stepped back from a lot of the engagement over the last couple of years. Um, and my sanity and my blood pressure are highly appreciative of it. It's probably a thing to, to put out in the open. I think it's helpful to, to hear because it takes a lot of effort to debunk. It's a, was it Brandon Leaney's law that comes to mind of, it takes a, infinitely or proportionally larger amount of effort to refute the misinformation than it is to put it out. So I think that keeping that in mind and then seeing if there's, if the discussion that you have is actually helpful, which can be very difficult and tricky in an online context where you don't see the tone or the, per, the intentions uh, behind certain content and certain posts. If we move to the most common uh, myths, misconceptions that you've seen, um, or Keenan that you've avoided over the time? Interested to hear? Maybe start with you. Um, yeah, so in, uh, I'll speak to massage therapy here. Um, that's the area I've spent the most time in with this kind of stuff. So kind of broadly speaking, I think we tend to see a lot of um, very tissue-based interventions and sort of riding along that same train. Um, very simple pathoanatomical explanations for almost every problem we come across, while at the same time having like a strange but kind of wrong appreciation for the impact of psychosocial variables. So like if you speak to a lot of people in, um, I hope I don't offend too many people calling kind of like woo-woo healthcare, um, in which I think we kind of fall into that realm, um, a lot of those folks are, are very... Um, appreciative of the whole mind body idea. And they can very quickly grasp the idea that like, oh yeah, some various psychosocial factors can have an influence on some of these problems that we maybe see or the way people deal with these problems. But then they draw conclusions like, so therefore trauma is stored in your psoas rather than saying, okay, maybe the interpersonal relationship in this therapeutic context is important or maybe the way that I perceive my condition is important. Um, so I, I think we tend to see a little bit of um, maybe errors in how our treatments work, how the things that we're treating come to be, and the way that we can impact them. can see that so much in my exercise physiology world as well, the, the tissue-based explanations of strength or mobility or, or anything along the lines of it's something is wrong with the, um, the structural uh, issues or the dysfunctions, movement dysfunctions of a person. And, and that's what's causing the pain. It's that linear thinking, um, even though there might be an appreciation of the psychosocial uh, factors, that's, that's just a, like a side note to, to know about, but we're still very much focusing on the uh, biomechanical, uh, structural, pathological, biomedical reasons. Yeah, it's sort of a very straightforward, 
this muscle is tight, pulling on this joint, causing this pain. And if my um, intervention that is supposed to stretch those tissues doesn't work, um, then it was because that person wasn't following whatever home care I gave them, or it was because um, maybe the problem was more severe and you need more treatment, or that person only sees me for a couple of treatments they don't come back because it's not working. I forget all about them. And in my mind, I only remember the people who returned because they loved me, which I'd like to say was everybody, but sadly I can annoy some folks. Um, and then I forget about those people who I maybe didn't help. And in my head, when I'm weighing out, okay, is it that tight hamstrings cause lower back pain? I only remember the people for whom I lengthened quote unquote, their hamstrings during treatments and their backs feel better. Cause those are the ones who came back to see me later on because they, they felt like I helped them. It goes back to your last point about the, how things work and the mechanisms behind our interventions. Matt, interested to hear your thoughts on this one. I, I think that you're probably going to hear pretty much the same, same on this one. It's the somewhere between interesting and disappointing that the exact same myths that are really prevalent today are the same exact ones that were around when I first sort of started doing this stuff and started having a voice on this stuff. Um, you know, it's 2023 and I think probably one of the first things I wrote was in like 2013, maybe 2012. And it's the same, same. Um, I think, you know, so it's all, it's all posture, it's all weakness, tightness, this, that, and the other. And, you know, again, with nuance, those things can have a time and place and, and can have helpful effects as interventions, or at least the intervention tools can. Um, you know, I think what Keenan spoke on in terms of sort of like a appreciation of psychosocial stuff, I'm actually starting to see things come around that way where we're now, where I'm now noticing sort of trends of people sort of saying like, oh, well, the pain is all because of stress. And I think that's probably more prevalent in massage and massage therapy settings and things that are adjacent to it. And I think, um, you know, if done correctly, I think that there can be some really helpful messaging in there. But I think if we're looking at being accurate and actually looking at whole people well that's probably not true either so um yeah i think those are context dependent things and uh, keen and i just probably encounter things in different ways and i'll add the the u.s uh tinge to things because you know in in the u.s even in new york where massage is more tightly regulated um I think there's also generally a somewhat oppositional nature of massage here to say standard biomedical practices. And I see that within students sometimes where they'll have sort of an anti-physician sort of bias towards things and they, they don't really fully understand or appreciate what goes into things. And, you know, with due deference, I think that most of them come to that conclusion because they've had negative experiences, but uh, it's probably not fair or accurate to judge whole fields and whole industries by way of some negative experiences. Yeah. If, if we expanded on that point, cause I see it in the, there's, there's two things as maybe I, the second part is what you mentioned, acknowledging our own lived experiences of the medical system and how that might influence our approaches and our practice. And the first part was that, again, that linear thinking uh, of instead of blaming the tight muscle, we're blaming stress and or it's, it's because someone slept like they didn't sleep enough. And that's directly the cause of their low back pain that's been persisting for five years. If, if we expanded on on those, Matt, maybe I'll start with you and then and then Keenan, if, if you've heard something similar. Yeah, sorry. so just so I'm clear, like the sort of change in what's linear to being purely tissue-based to being purely psychosocial, is that sort of the gist of things? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that I think that that's something that's happening, and I think that it exists more so in a massage therapy setting than others, um, because I think people will 
you know, you won't be able to see me no matter how you're consuming this, but it's sort of like the, oh, I hold my tension here sort of thing. And I think that that language is useful for communicating a reality that, you know, somebody feels a certain way that they may tense and, and uh, tighten up and lack, you know, restrict movement and all these other things, which we know do have fairly large nociceptive inputs if sustained. Um, you know, so there's there's value in communicating that in that language, um, but it's also sort of expanding that from this is sort of stress, and that stress lives in the tissue, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to, well, yes, there is stress, and that's meaningful because that's going to change things, but it's how does that stress interact with your behavior and is that stress something that's modifiable based off of your current work and life environment? And if not, what can you do to mitigate that rather than to sort of blame yourself for being stressed for being a single parent and working long hours? Yeah, it's funny. I, I come across it just from my anecdotal experience in a lot of the psychological therapies now that I'm diving into it of the, it's that, idea that stress is held in the body and, and there is value I think as well in certain contexts to communicate that my my own I guess uh, curiosity is uh, the causality claims that it's you know due to the stress and that therefore there is a direct link if you're holding the stress in your psoas or with the traumatic experience in your muscle tissue then we just release that and that's a, again an overly biomedical explanation we've just changed some of the terms but Keenan, i've been ranting for a while i'm keen to hear your your thoughts and your experiences um yeah no i i really like the way matt put it um i would definitely echo a lot of what he said there like you do tend to see um a fair bit of that fairly straightforward linear a to b this is um this psychosocial thing is the cause of this problem i'm dealing with right now um, without a whole lot of other thought underlying it. Um, I do think, like you said, it kind of depends on um, what that ultimately leads to as to how harmful that misinformation really is or that that understanding maybe. Um, if my my mom says like, oh, I'm, I'm really stressed and when I'm stressed, I, I hold it in my, my traps and my neck gets really sore and stuff. And what she does with that understanding is make sure she manages all of the stress that she can manage and takes time for herself to de-stress. And like, that's wonderful. I don't think I really have any sort of problem with that. Um, provided you're not getting maladaptive behaviors from these understandings, I'm not sure exactly how deleterious some of them are. When we start to maybe go down the wrong path for dealing with these things is when I imagine a lot of these issues become a little bit more problematic. It also depends a little, I think, on the individual um, saying these things. If it's just a, a person who's dealing with neck pain, that's a very different thing than if it's a practitioner on Instagram with a million followers that they're trying to teach this to. Yeah, I love that. That's some of the looking at how I was going to ask some solutions, some when do we debunk, when do we clarify these misconceptions? And like you said, Keenan, if one of my parents was thinking that when they're stressed, they get neck pain, then, and that leads them to some helpful solutions and some uh, behaviors that allow them more time to de-stress and to uh, look at their lifestyle behaviors and what they can modify, then I think that's actually helpful and for me to say no you're wrong you know your stress is not held in your neck um it's is probably not going to be helpful to them in that context to the layperson um and maybe for a, in a context where this is a clinician talking to other clinicians and making a causal claim then we might be talking about perhaps different different ideas different um a different context for the discussion and the quote-unquote debunking of the information yeah, I sort of think in, in my view, at least, that's a, a really big part of, of when you confront these things is what is the outcome we're looking to get from confronting it? Um, and what are the odds of that actually happening? In general, I think a really good way to go about it for a lot of folks who are just um, lay people, not clinicians, um, 
involves meeting them where they're at and maybe not just jumping out and go, well, actually the thing about that is like, I read a systematic review that I don't think really goes as far as we'd like to think it does sometimes, but meeting somebody where they're at, maybe saying, okay, like if you think your stress is held up in your traps here and it's getting you to do all this really great stuff, that's awesome. If you're doing that great stuff and the neck pain isn't going away, don't beat yourself up too much over that. Maybe it's something else as well, but keep doing the things that you're doing. Like I think meeting people where they're at can be a really great way to go about helping counter some of these things without just like raising our glasses and going, well, you know, I read a study that showed that you're wrong. I don't know how well that works out for us. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, if we're talking about debunking, clarifying some of the misconceptions on this line, what, what would you say? I think Keenan nailed it. Um, you know, I think end of the day, I'm concerned primarily with what's actionable and what actually matters for outcome. I think that's one of the harder things uh, to sort of disabuse yourself of when you care about what's true or not. You have to recognize what actually matters and when. Um, yeah, I think it's it's absolutely about meeting somebody where they're at. And then, um, you know, I think, uh, again, when you're doing those things, it matters that you demonstrate that you understand what it is that they are currently doing and maybe why, sort of asking those questions. So, you know, if somebody has those, you know, quote unquote, tight traps, which is causing their neck pain from their stress, and they start doing mobility things and they, they notice that it's helpful, that's fantastic, you know? So maybe we don't have to change anything. If they are doing that stuff and it's not helpful and we sort of ask, you know, so why did you start doing that? You know, oh, so, and they say, well, you know, the muscles are tight, so I'm supposed to stretch them. You ask, is that helping? And they say, well, it is, but maybe not enough. And then, it's what can we add and what can we take away? How do we clarify those experiences for them? And in doing that, uh, I think it's also um, anytime you're going to give somebody advice or coaching that way, yes, they're coming to you soliciting advice as an implicit thing, but sort of demonstrating to them that you understand and that, uh, that they understand back what you're saying to them. So almost sort of asking, is that working? And are you willing to try something else? So asking them first, do they want the advice? Talking in a client context, this is bread and butter. And um, I'm, I'm just now wondering how the shift might occur if we're talking to a clinician on this case. And I know my personal struggles that I deal with is the, maybe my assumptions of what clinicians quote unquote should know and should have as priors as understanding. Um, so I personally find it difficult and maybe there's times where I should do what you're doing Kenan and, and, and retract back and just give myself some space because I feel like maybe we can do a better job and um, maybe I'm just talking about myself personally at meeting clinicians where they're at just like we would with clients but what what would you say to that nuance if, if we're now talking to colleagues to students to other fellow healthcare professionals how might our approach to the misinformation change if at all Keenan probably start with you yeah. So like the, with me, it definitely changed. I just stopped doing it because I was losing my mind a little bit. Please don't stop doing it though, Daniel, because we need folks like you doing that. Otherwise this whole system is going to come crumbling down. Um, so in my experience, some of the, the better interactions that I've had with um, colleagues regarding this kind of thing, I've taken the approach of um, maybe encountering more of a, um, I mean, from a position of curiosity and uh, interest and wanting to share something rather than correct something. So I almost just ignore the um, claim entirely and maybe come at it from a different perspective, say like, 
um, let's say we're talking about like, um, it's somebody who loves myofascial release and they're like, yeah, we stretch the fascia and then it, it breaks down all the adhesions and all of a sudden everybody's pain is fixed. Voila. Um, we could go about that in a very direct way, providing evidence for maybe why that doesn't work and what else it could be. I think instead though, we can almost build two opposing views where we can, they can have their sort of myofascial tower over here. And then we can say like, okay, that's really cool. Like I, I really appreciate that you see great results with all this stuff. Totally unrelated. Have you heard of this other thing that can really help people in pain? Like, have, have you heard about how, how much of an impact maybe our, um, our rapport can, can make on our treatments and like your, your people seem to really get along well with you. Do you think that has a, an influence on how well you do and not even maybe directly countering the thing that, that we, that we believe they're incorrect about, but rather just building a little bit of dissonance almost. Um, and I've used this with clients in the past as well, when they've been given information from other um, clinicians or healthcare practitioners that I didn't believe to be accurate. So um, a woman that I was training, she was a, a young girl in her late twenties and she had a very fragile self image. Um, she had been told from her chiropractor that her, I, I don't remember the exact vertebrae, but it was like her C7 was rotated by about three millimeters to the right. And that was causing a pull into her right shoulder, which was giving her subacromial um, impingement. And then also on the contralateral knee, she was getting issues because of this rotated vertebra. Like it was, it was multiple levels of like, what the hell are you talking about? Rather than confronting that directly because she had a really strong relationship and trust with this person who told her this, I just tried to kind of build a completely opposing perception of herself through the stuff that we were doing. It's like, oh, that that's really hard. Like, um, it, it's really great that you've got yourself into the gym at all with, with this fragile body that you're working with. Let's see what we can start with. And we just gradually progressed up and I made sure to kind of point out the wins along the way. Like, wow, look at that. You picked up a hundred pounds off the floor. Like that's incredible. And just kind of almost building a little bit of dissonance where like these two towers cannot stand side by side at the same time for too long. And then eventually she started to see that like, wow, you know, I, I'm not that fragile. I can be really strong. Um, and maybe I don't need to be quite as worried about my, my three millimeter rotation in my vertebrae. Um, I think the same can work for some practitioners as well, sort of helping build some opposing views without directly countering the, the one that we are concerned about um, and letting them kind of sort through that in their head. But I specifically mentioned that girl because that was one of the, the most clear wins I've had with that sort of strategy. It doesn't always work as well as, as I'd like. If only, but that, that idea of gaining some experiences in a completely different um, tower, we'll say, to then build that dissonance. And there's a discrepancy between that tower and their understanding or what they've been told in the past. So you're not uh, attacking their basis and their tools and what's been helpful for them. Um, and there's less of that kind of making it personal. It's just like, hey, there's also this. Have you heard about this as well? Matt, keen to hear with uh, your interactions with students, colleagues, healthcare professionals. Yeah, I think that there's always going to be give and take and, and it's, it's always going to be a little bit frustrating for those of us who really do place a large amount of value in trying to stay as current as possible. Um, again, I think this is probably an area where I've sort of softened a little bit where you start to see you know, that there isn't sort of best practices aren't wildly outperforming things that are outdated and you start to question well why stay current sometimes? And the answer is, well, it's the right thing to do. And sometimes it does actually matter a lot. So uh, do please stay current. Um, I think that there, there's a few parts there. And one of them, which we sometimes miss, is to sort of build or cultivate a reputation as being somebody who does try to stay current or who does try to go a little bit above and beyond. And I don't know in all fields how that's demonstrated, but, you know, anecdotally, I've been working at the same place for 
uh, around eight years now, and the, you know, the people come and go. And it's interesting to me that whenever somebody who's been there for a long time leaves, they pretty much all tell their, their prior clients and patients to see me. And I haven't, it, I haven't tried to do that. I haven't tried to cultivate that. I haven't tried to be like, oh, can you send anybody to me? It's never been solicited. It's never been asked for. I think people notice based on behaviors that, you know, if you have discussions or if you want to talk about something that you've been reading or seeing, that people will notice if you're trying to advance. So sometimes that is strictly by behavior and sort of attitudes of sort of like, oh, I just was reading this thing. Have you seen this thing? Right. It's, it's always a lot easier, you know, to sort of confront somebody with opposing information by giving them like uh, a source that could be a blog post. Oh, you know, I was just reading this thing about spinal flexion and then sending them a blog post on that rather than, than you being the one who brings it up and tells them all the information. Now they've had some time to sit with it and maybe you want to talk to them and they want to talk to you about it later. I think that's a really easy inroads. Um, but then while it's not especially what we would tend to value as like folks who sort of fancy ourselves evidence-based, uh, building also sort of the testimonials for people who haven't had good success with other people, which is probably where understanding nuance matters more. So if they've seen somebody and they say, oh, I don't really know what to do with this person. And then they say, see you and, you know, for whatever reason, you have a better outcome. They're going to want to know what you did and why, why did that help? And you very well might not have the answer. Um, because we know that these things can be entirely random and have nothing to do with anything. But if it's a trend, people are going to want to be want to know why is that consistently happening. That role modeling, the kind of behaviors and attitudes that we would like our colleagues to do more of. So it kind of almost leading by example. And I think that that covers the the role modeling, even the questioning, the critical thinking and our own responses to, to information as we come across it uh, and making it about the sources that we're talking about the, the studies or the research or the blog posts. Um, we're not um, just attacking a particular modality or line of thinking in itself. It's almost like a sidestepping the, um, away from the personal attacks that we talked about with um, creating that dissonance. So if we were to look at um, a common scenario of mixed messages. I think, um, Keenan, you, that, I love that example of the client that you had, that you took her to the gym and got her to lift heavy shit and see that she could actually do that. Um, if for the listeners who maybe are um, surrounded by clinicians who have different opinions for, for better or worse, and they're, the, the clients that they see do get mixed messages, um, what might be some helpful strategies on how um, to to navigate the different approaches and I mean I'm thinking of people who have say employers who uh, might not be as up to date how can they navigate that tricky scenario Keenan um, I, I tend to take the the yes and approach to that sort of thing um, especially with individuals who already have a strong relationship with the other practitioner that's that's giving them that information. Or if you're in a workplace where you're regularly um, working concurrently with someone who is sharing information that you don't necessarily agree with or whatever the case may be. Um, I, I'm not sure how often just directly confronting that thing if a person already has a strong relationship with that person. Um, I'm not sure how effective that is all the time. So sort of like I was talking before, like just creating that other um, other avenue for them to look at is the best way that I've personally found. Like, let's say um, somebody believes that they, they, they go to a craniosacral therapist who says that they need to have their cranial sutures wiggled around to change the flow of their cerebrospinal fluid to fix 
their anxiety. Um, I don't know if me saying like, well, you know, according to the research, we can't do, I, I don't know that I actually create a bridge in that case. The person might say, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. And then they go back to the, the CST practitioner that they already trust and really like and has helped them before. I think I probably get more out of that by saying like, okay, that's really great that you found that that, that treatment really helps you. Um, I know so-and-so that does that treatment is um, a really clever um, individual. They're really up on things and, and they help a lot of folks. So I'm, I'm glad they were able to help you. Um, something else that I found that really helps with this is X, Y, and Z. Um, maybe we should try that as well. Um, I, I think I tend to get a little bit further with that approach and it just helps maintain relationships a little bit because as much as I'd like to say, ah, you're just a fucking idiot. I have to live in the world with other people, sadly. So it can't just be me and my cat all day. So I, I've got to make those bridges where I can. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, can you hear? I, I think, again, Keenan's really on point with the, the yes and I think the, uh, because it's very unlikely that, especially if somebody's invested in something that confronting the belief directly is going to be sort of the way in. Um, I, I think I'm going to be a little redundant, which is also sort of asking questions like, is what you're doing helping? And is there something in particular that you notice that's helpful? So even with things that I would say I'm in favor of, you know, activity modification exercise, for a lot of people, one of my pet peeves has always been, you know, here in the States, we'll call them PTs, but physios who send somebody home with a list of 30 different exercises to do. And so the person's like, I don't know which one of these are helpful. I don't know what, I don't know what to do with this and I can't keep it up. And I feel, and my conversation with them is often something to the effect of, you know, can we maybe narrow it down to just a few things that you notice are helpful and maybe, you know, you'll get 80% of the benefit from sort of 20% of the exercises or, or the mobility or whatever it is that you're doing. And a lot of people latch on to that because it's something that they actually want to hear. Uh, so that's also helpful. And then also perhaps, you know, if we're talking about, you know, the, the craniosacral or the chiro or whoever it is who's claiming to realign whatever they're claiming to realign, asking if that's something that's they need to be doing forever or if that's sort of a short-term strategy or like how do we get you from, from where you're starting to where you want to be and focusing back on what is the person's goals because if the, I think again, people are keen to have that conversation and sometimes that's you know that the person who's been told well i should stop running because of my knees or my ankle or whatever it is and the question is well for how long is it if it's forever is that something that you're happy with is that going to be the life that you want to live or is that something that we can work towards and can we give you sort of support towards the goal so again sort of contextualizing what was the thing that they were told to do and how do we get them back towards the thing that they want to do if there is that thing. Yeah, focusing on the person's actual goals and then having that space to reflect on what is working within those recommendations. I think there is that uh, blind trust that patients have when they play that patient role and there is a health medical authority giving them some solutions and they want to be the quote unquote, good patient and adhere and comply to what will be helpful, they assume. So th there's no there's no line or, or reflection space for questioning and to actually look back on what is actually working and what maybe isn't as helpful. I think something I just wanted to throw in really quick, I forgot to mention earlier, I, I think as massage therapists and um, in a lot of context, physical therapists and exercise physiologists and stuff, I think we are in a bit of a privileged position in this regard as well, where most of the stuff that we're talking about here is on the edges of optimality or harm. 
Um, we aren't really countering a lot of misinformation on a daily basis. That's life and death. So like, like Matt said, a lot of times we look at the, the current, um, more up-to-date stuff and how much is it really even outperforming some of the more outdated ideas. Um, we might be looking at like if somebody's spreading some sort of misinformation about how a treatment works or why somebody's neck hurts, we might be looking at that individual isn't getting as much better as they could as quickly as they could, or their pain might be a tiny bit worse. But we're in, in a privileged position here where when we're encountering misinformation, it isn't a case of if I don't change this person's mind, they could die, um, which I think is kind of nice to be able to fall back on. We're, we're not dealing with people who aren't taking their blood pressure medication because they heard something on the internet. We're dealing with somebody who is doing trying to do 20 exercises and not doing any of them as a result because they're, they're overwhelmed. Um, rather than somebody who's in acute medical danger because of the stuff that they've been told, for the most part, at least. So true. It can uh, very much appear like that, perhaps from from um, the emotional, at least my own frustrations that I see and, and what I hear, that it, it could be, oh, so much better if they had done things differently. But then looking at the bigger context in healthcare, where just a little tiny bubble in the edges of, of musculoskeletal persisting pain care. Um, I think, think that helps with uh, our overall approach and maybe allowing that curiosity and that compassionate approach when questioning rather than um, trying to change a clinician's mind or, or even a, a client's approach um, without allowing space for what, what's actually helping, what's, what's working. Um, it's not a life or death situation yeah. in for the majority of cases like one specific example that jumps to mind and um matt correct me if i'm wrong but i imagine you've had some similar experiences here where people come in with the idea that they have very specific tissue things that need to be broken down and stretched and pulled apart and um especially i'm i'm not exactly a small guy so i think some folks gravitate towards me for that reason um, and they, they sort of come in with the conception that like more pain, more gain, um, we need, it needs to be deeper and harder. And the more aggressive the treatment, the better, if I'm not making a pain face, it's not worthwhile, all that kind of stuff. Um, and if I can give somebody some informed consent to say, okay, I don't think you need this. Um, I think we can still get better with maybe a gentler approach. Um, and you might be a little more lit up because it's like, you might be really sore tomorrow if I lean my fat ass into you with all of my weight for an hour here. Um, I might be able to still deliver some of that and meet them halfway in one area. Say like, okay, I understand that's, that's what you've had success with before. Why don't we do a little bit of that stuff and then try a little bit of my usual stuff and we'll see how that goes. And then next treatment, we can adjust from there because the, the harder treatment, I'm not really causing any, any acute issues. Like I'm not going that, that hard. I'm able to kind of meet someone where they're at there and slowly transition into trying something different. Whereas in some other areas that might not be an option. So it's, it's kind of nice in that regard. Kind of nuance in the interaction and the communication of the intervention, I think, and the opportunity as well for the, this might be the first time that they've heard from a clinician that they actually don't need it, but they can still, you know, have it. And these are the risks and the pros and cons um, in a very honest and open, transparent way. So I think that that opportunity is very important. Matt, interested in Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a couple of things and I'll try to figure out if I get all of them. But uh, one of them is that um, when we allow for the fact that the differences are sometimes somewhat marginal or not that enormous between sort of best practices and more outdated practices, I think it also, uh, it does what I think some people would, would say means that you're not quite as uh, beholden to sort of the RCT, which I don't think we should have been to begin with, right? That the idea is we are pretty sure from the literature that the common themes are more important anyway, and that if you establish a better connection and somebody is doing something that resembles best care rather than exactly best care, and they're happier with it and they have a stronger relationship with you and they trust you more, 
this, that, and the other, it probably actually is best care in their circumstance at that time. So we don't have to always be sort of the, you know, well, they're doing heel drops for their Achilles tendinopathy, and we think that satisfaction is better with heavy, slow resistance. But like they've done it before, and it's fine, right? They're still loading the tissue. They're still doing the thing that they need to do. And so then who really cares in those instances? Because in that instance, for them, for that person, that is best practice. We're not, we're not being beholden to just the literature um, as an isolated thing. Right, the literature is the the evidence-based practice is actually the application of the literature to the individual, and I think that's uh, we're almost fighting against uh, a caricature uh, when we're not practicing that way. Um, yeah, I guess that's my my first thought. I probably lost the other one. Yeah, the, the we can be very uh, yes evidence-centered as opposed to person-centered when applying that that caricature of evidence-based practice. I think that's an important note to have. And if we know the uh, importance of building that therapeutic alliance and the relationship with, with a client, then we can play and explore whilst understanding the, the principles of what our knowledge base is to see and, and to filter and to uh, tailor it to the individual in front of us based on their history and experiences. Is that generally the, the gist, Matt, making sure I understood your point? Yeah, that's that's definitely it. And I think that it's, it, as per, we're talking misinformation. I think it means that we're allowed to permit some degree of misinformation so long as it's still within the realm of reasonable, right? So somebody is saying you know for their achilles tendinopathy that they think that they are should just go out and run as hard as possible every day of the week and that things better well we know that's probably not right but if they're fussing on the difference between loading at 20 percent one rm versus 60 percent i mean i don't know the literature in and out but i couldn't tell you that i'd be all that bothered so long as they're just stressing the tissue so yeah, I think uh, respecting preferences and prior experiences and what's going to uh, let somebody actually continue with the, the program, because even though we don't have a ton of evidence suggesting it's true, just on physiological basis, it makes sense that what somebody keeps up with is probably going to be the thing that has the bigger lasting impact on them rather than some uh, fantastical idea of perfect. The actual big rocks of committing to the the, the doing. I, I hate the word compliance and adherence, but it's actually just doing the the loading that matters most. I think we can be so easily caught up in the minute details, um, as we've mentioned. Of it's not a life or death situation. So, gents, I appreciate the interaction and the hearing insights from your lived experiences as both educators and in different worlds. We'll say on the literal opposite side of this globe that we call earth. So loving all your work that you're doing and appreciate the, um, the honest kind of uh, opinions on topics that, you know, we're not the most expert in, but it's really interesting to hear the, the narratives that you both come across and some helpful tips there for, for the listeners. Um, for those who are keen to find out a little bit more about you, your, your work, any projects coming up, I'm also, as a side note, interested, Keenan, how long you have left for your degree? Um, I've got a little under a year left now. I'm almost there. I'm almost entirely in clinical practicums now um, with little short bursts of school in between. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting there slowly but surely. Um, in terms of other projects, nothing much between, between school and training, uh, and family, that's pretty much taken up all of my time. Um, if anyone wants to find me, um, I'm on all the main social media stuff. I'm not super active, but I'm more than interested in engaging with anyone uh, who, who wants to. Uh, if you want to see some subpar powerlifting and pictures of my cats and wife, uh, you can find me on Instagram. And if you want to catch my occasional ranting, uh, much less so now, uh, you can find me on Facebook. 
Um, I just want to throw in one other quick thing on the subject. If, uh, if we got just half a second here, um, I just want to make sure I touch on, I, I think a big thing that we sometimes, or at least I sometimes would fall um, away from when we get into these conversations is having some intellectual humility myself. Um, so it's a little bit like when you, you ever have Facebook memories pop up from 10 years ago and you're like, Oh my God, I'm fucking embarrassing. Like that was, I can't believe I thought that or did that. Um, guaranteed I'm going to have quite a few beliefs right now that I feel the same way I do about those Facebook memories 10 years from now. Um, so I think when we're talking about encountering misinformation in practice, it is important to have a little bit of that intellectual humility that I could potentially be the one who's wrong here. So really honestly approaching these conversations with some level of curiosity, um, I think is, is really important, both in terms of just effectively building a bridge to change minds, but also so we're not on the wrong end of these discussions too often. Great point. Absolutely. And I was definitely one of those people with the 30 minute mobility routines. I think it was six years, seven years ago when I was looking at my memories. So yeah, absolutely. We're going to be part, part of that process is acknowledging that we are very much going with what we know currently, and we're going to change our minds on what we just said. So that this podcast will be a, uh, outdated very soon i'm sure matt for those listeners who are interested in learning a bit more about you your work any projects coming up uh nothing that uh is uh that i'm overly aware of i've had some requests from students to make a youtube channel but i don't really know that i feel very much like i want to do that um i don't know maybe i'll get guilted into it at some point yeah, I'm on the regular socials, I'm probably not that active these days. Um, you know, I think I probably poke and prod at different ideas at different times and see what kind of comes out. But uh, you know, there's uh, nothing big on the horizons so far as I'm aware at the moment. And uh, would Facebook be your main go-to for interactions? Yeah, content? Facebook is my Facebook is my main interaction, uh, largely by way of groups. Awesome. Great. Well, gents, appreciate your time and till the next one. Thanks for having us. It's been great.